set to go. And thank you, everybody, for listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening on YouTube, thank you so much for listening. If you can, please like and subscribe the videos so I know you enjoy it and we can continue bringing content like this. Today, I'm talking to Valley Hashimian. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate you coming out and making this, this happen. It's been, what, like six months since we first had a conversation about this. And I've been wanting to have you on because I like to pick your brain. And you got a lot of knowledge about business and real estate that I think people would be interested in because I know I'm interested in it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for inviting me. But part of the reason why it took so long is because I couldn't get a hold of you. And honestly, I thought, did you die? Because you weren't answering your phone forever <laughs> until I saw you running down the street one day and said, hey, there you are. Where have you been? So you had an interesting story about where you were at. So I'd like you to explain to everybody what happened to you. Where were you at and what went on over there? <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. I had taken a vacation uh, to the Middle East. And um, I had a little incident over there. There was a little commotion at the airport. And uh, they were saying, you know, they wanted my little background. Of course, as a, I'm a dual citizen. So what happened is, if you're a dual citizen, they give you a little much harder time than being an Iranian citizen. So they want to find out where my contacts are, who are my contacts are, why would I have communicated with somebody who was against the government or they had posted something on the Facebook. So at the airport, they gave me a little hard time. They confiscated the passport and they said, come back in about a month, we talk. <laughs> a so, month, we'll talk. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's what happened. I stuck there for a while and figured out, you know, how the hell am I going to get out of the country? Um, then uh, I got <coughs> hold of uh, some contact that I had in the U.S. And they said, you know, go to Swiss Embassy and uh, they issue a passport for me. So I went there. They said, no problem. Come back within 48 hours and we have a passport for you. So I got a passport and I said, okay, adios. <laughs> so why did they detain you again? Because that's... Well, what happened is they, in general term, I have to say, in the Middle East, any third world country that you go, that's a dictatorship. So if you're opposing the government one way or other, and you're active social like Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, all Instagram, that stuff. Okay. Yes, that those are the ones. Then you are subject to scrutiny. Now, I wasn't involved in anything. I was friend with somebody who was, was posted something. So it was very unusual for me because I've tried to, in general, stay away from social media. I don't want to have so much DNA out there. Uh, and it's because... I always look at it, they're always going to come back to haunt you. So I figured out, you know what, it, the less profile, the better it is. So I've never been a type of person who says something bad about the government. It doesn't matter whether it's here or over there. Yeah. So I, I was shocked. Having said that, then I realized that, yeah, they, that's how they get, people get arrested or they get you know, taken to jail because they come around here and they start, you know, giving them so much bad information and then they go over there and say they're thinking oh i'm okay no you know i, I was looking at it, another case that i just was, was reading it on youtube again 
a, a Christian guy decides to go to Saudi Arabia. He was promoting Christianity here, right? Mm-hmm. But he didn't recognize that you can't do that when you go to Saudi Arabia. What do you think they're going to do to you? <laughs> <laughs> but just the fact that they would even know that. Like you just well, randomly but, come into but, the country. What, no, what, what, they do monitor everybody who is outside the country. That's crazy. Well, because Facebook and so, you know, if you look at WhatsApp and Instagram and stuff like that, they have all, we all have access to it, right? So I can check your background and I can say that what Mike's been doing for past 30 years. I mean, it makes sense you could do it, but why would you? Do they just think because you're in Iran, you're, you were born in Iran, right? Yes. So because you were born in Iran, that now that you're in the U.S., every Iranian who now is in the U.S. is going to be monitored by Iran in case you come back or in case you're sort of like a, they think you're a U.S. spy? Well, they, look, they don't look at it as a U.S. spy. They look at you as a potential threat to their regime, right? So you, they look at you, okay, if you are promoting democracies. So what happened is, imagine Mike has got like 50,000 followers, mm-hmm. right? That 50,000 followers, they can send the message to their peers. And that could create a little stirs in the situation for the government. So that's the reason they don't like the idea of because we, you and I can say whatever we want to say here. You see, I can stop by in front of the White House and say, help me, yeah. Biden, right? And nobody can touch me. Now, when you go over there, you say, help me, Ayatollah. Guess what's going to happen? Yeah. Right? So that's the reason they monitor you to make sure that you are not a troublemaker. Now, to us, is a freedom of speech. Right. To them, is a troublemaking. So you get off the plane in Tehran, and you go through immigration, and you're already flagged. So they take your passport, say, come back and see us in, what was it, 10 days? 30 days. 30 days. Yeah. You go back, you go into some, what, like an interrogation room? Well, there is a, it is an interrogation room. It's exactly a room that you go over there and say, what the hell, what are you doing here? What, why are you here? What do you want? Uh, what's the purpose? Who you're talking to? Oh, Mike is your friend. And you say, I don't remember anything about Mike. And they say, oh, you don't remember anything about Mike? Let's, let us refresh your memory. So they bring that, what Mike posted, right? And they say, I wasn't aware of it. Wow. And then that's it. They just question you. There, there's no like pulling fingernails or no, anything? No, okay. no, 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 no. I don't know. Now, I just... I, no. Now, if I was involved, if I had, if, if imagine this, if I had done something, mm-hmm. I'm sure I would have been a little bit treated different than the way I, they treat me. So, okay, so then they release you. They say, come back in 30 days. You come back, they question you, and then I didn't, they... I didn't go back after that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so if, uh, I went out and I got my, my American passport and I moved to border and said, adios. Jeez. So if you didn't have that connection, would you even have known to go to the Swiss embassy? You probably could have figured it out, right? They're... It's going to take, would have taken longer. I could, I could have been more in danger, let's put it this way. Okay. Because I think the Swiss embassy is, they act in the U.S. interest since we don't have an embassy in Iran. That's right. Which brings that up. What, you, you were born in what, the 60s? I was born in the 60s, yes. So you were around during the, the revolution, right? Yes. Were you in Tehran during all that? Uh, I left before the revolution. You, okay. 
Gotcha. Did that we left. Did uh, you s- did your parents see the writing on the wall? What was coming down? The writing was on the wall from 1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1976。1975-1
at the time, uh, they were all hoping that things are going to get better. Now, wh- what I'm talking about, things are getting better. During Shah's regime, Iran was pretty open. You could, you know, nobody was wearing scarves or chador or hijab or something like that. So <coughs> nobody was doing all those things. I mean, don't get me wrong. No, I, I shouldn't say nobody. Majority of people weren't wearing it. So, and you could buy alcohol in stores. Very easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after revolution, things start changing. The government demanded that women start wearing covers, hijabs. And that was the beginning that you could see that things is changing. And then the alcohol was completely gone. There was no, you couldn't buy alcohol anywhere. And they said it's illegal at some point. Uh, newspaper, one by one, they were shutting down. And whoever was working for Shah's regime, whether it was army or whether it's the government employees, one by one, they start being executed. Wow. That's right. So in the beginning was really hard for majority of people who were somehow related to Shah. Now, I'm not saying that some of them were not deserving to die, but not everybody deserved to die. Right. So that's my personal feeling is. Interesting. Uh, some of them were you know, torturing people for a number of years under Shah's power, so they deserve to die, but not everybody. Not all the generals, not all the people who were in power. Uh, having said that, so what happens by 1980s or 81, 82, there was nothing left to kill. <laughs> you put it that way. <laughs> I, I, I never forget about it. Uh, Mike Wallace had gone to Iran uh, from 60 Minutes. And he had an interview with Ayatollah Khomeini. And he said, ask them a question. Uh, Imam, you're killing these people without trial, without the due process. And Ayatollah Khomeini said, well, we look at it different than you look at it. And he says, what do you mean? And he said, well, if they were guilty, because what happened is, at the time they were killing people, and then after killing them, they would have a trial. Right. So they said, what would happen if they find the guy innocent? And he said, well, if the guy found innocent, he goes to heaven. We kill them, but he goes to heaven. And what happened is, if they found guilty, he deserved to die anyway. That mentality was, you know, either way, we don't care. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you could look at it that way. Said, well, either way, it's just. But if we have a trial and he's found innocent, well, then he gets away with it by going to heaven. Yeah. So this way, we just get it out the way, and then we just assume exactly. And so that was the value of a human being at the time in Iran. Jeez. Uh, the 80s we were talking about and of course now things have changed uh, the government is a little bit different than in the beginning I'm in the beginning of revolution they were massive killing unbelievable but, yeah but uh, right now the killing happens but different ways 
do you think that they're coming more into the modern world now as they're opening up? Because, you know, for people that, that don't know, they have this big quarrel with Saudi Arabia. I, it's really what? Is it a Shia Muslim versus a Sunni Muslim ideology that is at the heart of all this? That's what they claim. But I think it's dominant. They want to be a dominant player. Now, Iran has become a dominant player. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Iran was, for a number of years, they put aside. There was nobody count, could count on him. Uh, and they were excluded because of a uh, number of factors. We, we weren't friendly with them. We still have uh, embargo on them, so they couldn't get everything they want. So what they've done is they became close to Lebanon, Hezbollah. And they're supporting those groups. Uh, they're pretty, pretty, pretty strong in Syria. Uh, the closest ally of Syria government. Uh, in when we left Iraq, we just handed Iraq completely to Iran. So Iranian running the Iraqi government. Really, right now? Yeah, they do it. Uh, they practically we lost Iraq to Iran. We don't hear about that. Yeah. Well, we don't hear anything about Iraq over here in the West. We just assume everything is fine because it's not Afghanistan. So I'm sure it's fine over there, right? No, that's not. uh, Iran is dominant player in Iraq. Actually, Afghanistan is very close right now with Iranian government. So did we do the right thing by leaving Afghanistan? I'm not sure. But did we? Well, no. You have to look at the options. At the time, what are the options that we had? Uh, you know, we were there for 20 years, roughly, give and take. Uh, what did we accomplish? That's a whole big can of worms there. No one's talking about that because if we, I mean, in that way of way of thinking, you have Iran here who now is influencing Iraq and is very close with the Afghanistan government, now the Taliban. I don't know what that looks like five, ten years from now, but it's definitely not something that anybody's talking about here. Maybe it's a good thing for the region. I don't know. Well, I don't live there. <laughs> no, you're not living there. But here's, I'll tell you, what's happening in, in Middle East generally, Mike. We left, and we left the vacuum. And that vacuum has been taken over by Iranian government. Hmm. They are becoming more and more popular uh, in Syria, in Lebanon, because they are generating works that nobody else has done, opening the schools and creating roads and uh, hospitals, and people like that, right? That's smart, yeah. very see, smart. They, are, they figured out the best way to get hard of the people is by helping them out, right? Opening schools. And now, when you go to a portion of Syria, when you talk to the Syrian people, they actually prefer Iranian government than own their own government. I mean, I can't imagine why their own government. I mean, that guy, that's, an, that's a whole other yeah, conversation. Right. But you see, the whole, what Iranians have learned is in order to screw up the West, if we have people working with us, they're working against the West. And that's the reason we got out of Afghanistan because we were there for 20 years. And we couldn't take care of a tiny little country. Mm-hmm. I mean, Afghanistan is not that big. Well, nobody's been able to figure out the Afghanistan. Exactly. (laughs) And also, my question has always been to U.S. government officials, look, this is a country based on democracy. 
Russia is autocrat, is a dictatorship. If they could not take care of Afghanistan for 18 years, they were there. At the end, they put their stuff together and say, adios. They said, screw it, it's your Except problem now. Now, but imagine this. This is a government that's brutal and doesn't care about human rights. And they were killing people right and left. They couldn't take care of Afghanistan. What idea, right idea would have given these people in the, the, you know, at the time with the Bush administration to go invade Afghanistan or now another country in the Middle East. I'm looking at Iran. Okay, well, recently we're looking at all the talk that is going on between the U.S. and Iran and Israel. Well, what are the options you have? You got to either sit down and solve the problem or you're going to go militarily attack each other, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's military attack, if we couldn't handle Afghanistan, with 20 million population, 25 million. If we couldn't have handle Iraq, 40 million population, how the heck are you gonna handle Iran with 85 million population? It makes sense. I mean. <laughs> and five times bigger than Iraq. Yeah. So how are we gonna solve that problem? Are we gonna have to another 20 years what be Iranian? I, I don't know, I mean. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a subject that most people over here have no clue because we just don't we're so far away from it we don't know okay what's right what's wrong we just know what we hear on TV yeah the US leaves Afghanistan the world's gonna come to an end I mean no it's not but you know since we don't live there we don't know <laughs> what to really expect that's true and it's but your parents are back there right now correct yes yes they are when did they come back my mom comes and goes regularly oh so when you when they left during the Shah's regime towards the end of it, they stayed away for a while and then said, okay, now it's, it's safe enough for us to come back? Well, my, my parents, been there. they're citizens, so they right. come and go anytime they want to. But what happened is, in 84, 1984, my dad uh, was promised that uh, if he goes back, they're gonna give his property that was taken mm. by government. So that's the reason they went back. Did they keep their word? No. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> worth a shot. <laughs> no. He's still fighting them after 40 years, 35 years. I don't know how long it's been. Yeah, since 80. So yeah, he's still fighting them. And this is property not in Tehran, but in the central part of the country, yeah. which is pretty much barren desert. Yeah. The place that we live, grew up is desert. is like Mojave Desert. Uh, the, the total rain per year is 50 millimeters, not even one centimeter of rain. You rain. Mean. That's right. So like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so less amount than what's in this glass here exactly, is falling. Yeah. Wow. That's per year. Uh, it's desert. It's hot. In the summertime temperature goes to 130, 135. 35 degrees. Yeah. Fahrenheit, uh, not Celsius. No. Uh, <laughs> so. Celsius would be around 45. Oh man, that's brutal. Well, yeah. It's uh, actually you can cook an egg believe it or not no i believe it you uh, could uh, do it in la sometimes yeah, yeah, that's right i've done it several times in order to prove you know a point that but at the time when i was a small kid we would want to see it so you just crack eggs and put it in the asphalt and you see that in two minutes it's cooking <laughs> so so besides your experience recently going back to see your parents what is life in like in iran for your average citizen do they know about the world are they being treated well is it you know well, here is what I always tell people from outside. 
In Iran, you can find anything you want. Any kind of luxury item you want, you can find it. Most Iranians carry iPhones, believe it or not. Even though with the embargo, around 50% of the population has got an iPhone and 50% of the population got Samsung. You can get any kind of computer. You got materially, you can find anything you want. The bad part about Iran is the level of wealth and poverty. The number of rich versus number of poor. So rich can afford anything they want over there and the number is very limited. It's not, you know, everybody's rich. The poor, they have the hardest time. Inflation is 18, 19% per year. Uh, Think we have it bad here now in the yeah, States at exactly. 18% in Iran? Uh, yeah. So you do have that problem in Iran with the high inflation. Um, jobs are not there. Majority of people work two jobs in order to support their family. Um, having said that, what I found it fascinating about Iran or in general, Middle East, most people have fun. You know, like on Friday afternoon or Thursday afternoon, they all get together. Now, don't get me wrong, the alcohol is not legal in Iran, but I'm sure you can find it. Doesn't mean you can't find it. Exactly. Uh, but they all get together family-wise and, you know, dancing and music and stuff like that is is more of a gathering than we have around here. You and I, if you want to see if have a friend or family, we call two or three weeks in advance, make an appointment, and I say, okay, we're coming on such and such date for dinner. And you spend two or three hours and that's it. And you're out. <laughs> but in the Middle East or in Iran, it's not like this. So you say, okay, might come over. Okay, what time should I come? I'll come from 2 o'clock in the afternoon, anytime you want. 2, 3, 4, 5. And when you come, you stay there until 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. So the party is much longer and gathering is much longer. So there is more f- festivities and more food, which is kind of really nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that, that you humanize that because that's not something that people think about over here about what life is like. We just kind of assume everybody's in poverty, they're all oppressed and because that's the narrative that gets put out here. No. But really, you go there, it's everybody's having a good time. Yes, inflation is but, ridiculous, but they don't know anything else than what their mm, currency is there. I always tell people, when you go to <coughs> different country, look at their restaurants. Do you see a line? If you see a line for any kind of restaurant, not doesn't mean fancy one or anything special. If you see a line for all the restaurants, I mean that country is doing something right. When you go to the grocery store and people are staying in line, and there is so much supply of food there, but they are buying, everybody's buying, that gives you that country is alive. Maybe it's COVID. Well. <laughs> something I don't want to see again is another line in front of the grocery store just to get in or fighting over the few pieces, the few loaves of bread that are left. No, no, COVID hasn't done that much. Uh, but now most people deliver for you. We, yeah. Well, you went back there during the pandemic, right? Yep. How was it over there? How were they, like nothing even existed? No, some people, again, is like right here. Some people are crazy to the extreme of saying, okay, wear a mask and wear, you know, do vaccine and stuff like that. 
Some people are crazy the other side and say, I don't give a damn about, sorry for the language, for the mask, or I don't care about the vaccinated, and I'm never going to get vaccinated. So you got to respect both sides. Yeah. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to choose what's right for me. Uh, when I have an out, mask. When I'm at home, I'm okay. Uh, restaurants, everybody's open. It's not like here. That, you know, you want to go to the restaurant, they ask for your uh, uh, vaccinated card or, hey, why aren't you wearing masks? It's not like that. You, you go to the restaurant, some people are wearing masks, some people are not wearing masks, and they respect each other. And nobody's screaming at each other. <laughs> not that that doesn't happen over here. No, I mean. but, but the number of deaths is um, average is probably about 100 to 150 a day. Now, doesn't mean, to me, it's always been the fascinating part is, are these people are dying from actual COVID or somehow related sickness that COVID contribute to it? Yeah. You see, to me, I don't know. We'll I mean, never know. No, I that's mean, it. Yeah. I don't want to get into it because I've been vaccinated and I'm okay with it. But the question is, is and I look at it, honestly, Mike, my entire family has gotten it. My father, who is 92 years old, has got COVID. My mom, who is 86 years old, has got a COVID. And they both survived it. No real complications? Well, my father was in the hospital for a week. But my mom, no. My sister, no. Their kids, no. My brother, no. Now, it doesn't mean it's not a killer virus. Don't get me wrong. Correct. Because I don't want to... Put the wrong word out. Everybody's different. Everybody responds differently to exactly. it. Exactly. And I look at my aunt and uncles and my cousins. They all got it. So I don't know how to say this, you know, but in Iran, it's just like any other country around here. You have crazy people who they go to the extreme both sides. Now, you know, it's good, I don't know. But this funny thing about it is you go to the restaurant, you go out the park, you would think when they say stay home order comes around and stay home, you should follow it, right? But over there, no, nobody cares. <laughs> the government says stay home, but everybody's open. All the businesses are open. All the restaurants are open. All the grocery stores are open. Um, See, I would think in a in a regime like that, you would be more afraid of the government because if you don't do what they, they say, it's like, do you really want to face the consequences of that? But you tell me that people just said, eh, screw it, whatever they, they said, I'll do what I want to do. Well, it's becoming, in the beginning, according to my family, in the beginning, people did follow, like, like a week or so. But then they realized, that, okay, how the heck am I going to make money? Yeah, I mean, with inflation at 18, 20%. Yeah, exactly. You know. So they said, you know what? We are going to stay open. And then when the government comes out, the police officer comes out and says, okay, shut it down. They said, well, I'm not shutting it down. Do whatever you want to do. What would they do? Well, maybe you arrest one, two, ten people. But you can't do that every single day. Yeah. Yep. You know, at some point, it becomes costly. Uh, you have to have room enough to put the people in jail. <laughs> Aside from the political prisoners? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you have to remember. You can't oh, put too, too many people in jail. At some point, your jail is going to be overcrowded. Yeah. 
You're going to make it worse there. Like you're trying to stop the, the spread, but you put everybody in the jail at the same time. Exactly. That's it. That's it's good to hear that there's another way that people have done it in other other countries. And we're not saying what's right or wrong. Everybody's different. Every country's different. I mean, that is a very hot, arid desert for the most part, except for the Tehran, which is near. Was it the Caspian Sea? The well, Black sea? we're close. Tehran is about uh, two, two and a half hours from Caspian Sea. Okay. By driving. By driving. And it's. it's so and the, that's the majority of the population, right? Like seventy yeah. percent of Iran lives in and around Tehran. Yes, some ridiculous number like that. Yeah, but population of Tehran now, the city is about close to twelve million. Twelve million people. people. Yeah. What's uh, New York City like? Eight or nine? Uh, I, I think New York City is about probably ten. Geez, twelve million people crammed into. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's a big enough city, but still, it's just that tightly packed in there. It is packed, and traffic is a killer, and air quality is awful. So it's like L.A. but on steroids. Well, exactly. It, it like Beijing. Beijing. That, that's even. I've never been there. You've been there? <laughs> yes, I've been to Beijing. Is it that bad? That whole it, fog that yeah, comes over the. It is. So if you if you always if you want to see a smog, go on the mountain and look at the valley. In Beijing. Yeah, and you can see the smoke. In Tehran is the same thing. The smoke sitting there, the breathing. It's getting out. If another way of finding out how bad the smog is, you wear a shirt in the morning. Right. <laughs> Say, imagine, mine is blue. Now, if you have a white, that's even better. But if you have a blue, get up in the morning and just don't go out that often, you know. But just walk four blocks, five blocks. Come home, take your shirt, and you see a color green, uh, black around your neck. Ooh, like what? At three hours? Three hours. Jeez. And people just live in that. I mean, they don't know any different. I get it. That's their, their, their city. Everything is around there. But the solution is you have to get rid of all these cars, right? Yeah, I mean, that's one way, yeah. Yeah. So and the cars they have is past, you know, 30 years old cars. Hasn't been updated and they don't have access to it to the new cars. And if they have it, it's too expensive. Most people can afford it. So the government hasn't been able to somehow come up with a solution for that. And when you have 12 million people living in Tehran, and then you have deliveries and um, trucks and the trains and airplanes and everything else comes to it, because that's a center, the hop center, yeah. right? Then you have more problems for smog. And they don't believe in capitalism there in terms of... Oh, they do believe in capitalism. They do? <laughs> yes. Okay. So it's not a problem of getting goods in and making... All right. No, no. You can get anything you want. As I was telling you, you can find anything, but you have to pay the price. Yeah. I was watching something on YouTube the other day about the alcohol addiction problem they have there, yet alcohol is illegal. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. People are still finding ways to get... I mean, look, the, the alcohol you want, most people say, well, Iran is not producing, which is legally, yes, I agree with you. But you as an individual at your own home, you're growing beer, you're uh, growing wine, you're doing all the things you want, right? Now, if you, if you are not that sophisticated to do all those things, which is not really that hard to do it, but say you don't have the time. So <clears throat> they, they get everything from Dubai. I mean, it makes sense. Right? Dubai, from Dubai to Bandarabas is only 10 miles. Do, Dubai from what? From Bandarabas, Iranian port. Which is the, a bit, the port town, okay. Yeah. So it's only 10 miles. That's so if it? You, yeah. Oh, 
So it's not that far. <laughs> wow. I mean, I... I, mean, I guess it looks close enough on the map, but you never realize, oh, that's only literally 10, 10 miles, miles by boat. But yeah. So wow. you can't, you know, they smuggle for you any kind of scotch you like, any kind of beer you want, and any kind of alcohol you want, any kind of vodka you want, they bring it for you. But you have to pay the price. I bet. But I mean, it's available, readily available. That's, I mean, I guess, yeah, no matter what restrictions the government's going to impose, people are going to find ways to get around it for things like that. If you really want it, you know, you'll have the, you'll have the money to get it. And, and, uh, and also, you have to remember, it's like a forbidden fruit. Yeah. Because it's forbidden, you want it more. That jacks up the price. <laughs> I mean, it would be, be smart if that was somewhere a conspiracy by the government to say, we want to make money by making this illegal. But by making it illegal, we can increase. There is rumor in Iran. They're saying people who are in charge actually are the people who, who are smuggling it because they're making money. <laughs> I mean, I believe it. Wouldn't you if you were there? Say, oh, oh. I, I don't, I, I don't, for me, it was pretty hard to say, okay, well, what do you mean? He said, well, imagine Mike is in charge of port. I said, okay. Well, if he gets a bottle of scotch, say, for $20, they bring it to the port, hand it to him for $20. Now, he's in charge of the port. He's going to sell it to me for $30 or $40. Mike is doubling his money, and he's in charge. Instead of saying, okay, it's $20, I just let it go. But he makes money, so who's in charge? Yep. Uh, that's just... The way the world works in places. I mean, it, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't happen here in the in this country, the good old United States of America. But it's just we do it differently. Yeah. We do it in a different way. Do we? Yeah. <laughs> Over there, when you are in charge, you're expected to be a thief. You're expected to be a thief, <laughs> yeah. well, right? If you're not a thief, you're not going to last very long. I mean. That's the game you got to play there, I guess. Yeah. See, there is a difference between over there and here. Over there, if you're official, you're expected to be a, a person who is making money, expected to be a thief. Around here, we do it different ways. We, we give them the money under the skies of donation to the campaigns. Well, that opens up a whole other can of worms there. Right. So it's a little bit different. Do you want to give the money on directly to the politician and say, hey, do the work for me? And they do it for you. Or do you want to say, you know what? I support your campaign and I'm going to give you $100,000. And the next day, what you were asking, you get it. Um, the That part of politics that nobody really wants to talk about or admit or even really want to, because it's, it's just... I don't know. It's. <laughs> you and I have talked about. Almost makes you feel, yeah. It almost makes you feel worse. Like okay, if that's actually happening, like then why? No, no. You and I have talked about this a number of times, and I said, here is how they operate. Do you think you're gonna find a single politician in this country who's honest? I hope so. The only thing I got going for me is that somebody out there is gonna be honest, or at least you start out that way. Well, when you're brand new and you want to make a difference, honestly. That's probably the best time to be your most honest at all. And then depending on how high you climb the ladder, how high you want to go, how fast you want to get up there. I mean, you know. that's, that's not good. That's not reality, Mark. 
Mike, you know that and I know that. Do you know why I say that? When you're in the beginning of your career in politics, it is, to, it is true that you're noble, you want to do good and stuff like that. But here is the time that it's going to change. Because you don't have the money, you don't have the support of anybody. So what happened is you're selling your soul to somebody who has got the money. Whether it is Oracle, whether it is Microsoft, whether it is uh, Marlboro, whether it is Exxon, whether it is any of them, right? You need the money to be elected. And once you get elected, you, you owe them the favor. How dare they? <laughs> right? So how, that's, you see the difference is, okay, in Iran or in Middle East in general, they tell you, okay, we, I want to be a member of parliament. Well, the good thing is you pay them off and you're there. But here you go through the election, but different companies are supporting you. And when you get there, you are obligated to support Exxon. You are obligated to support... Uh, well, it's like this. I mean, we were talking about this whole thing being on YouTube here. I was just looking that up. $19.77 billion in 2020 was generated by YouTube for advertisers. So they pay you money. So, But in order to get that advertising money, you have to pretty much, you know, how are you going to create content or how are you going to create something that's going to get people to watch you Therefore, generate time that the advertisers say, I will pay you to do this. So you got to keep doing things that are going to get people to pay attention in order to get a cut of that $19.7 billion. And, you know, it's what do you do with that? If you're, you know, it's in a way it is a capitalistic thing. If you want to make money and they're going to pay you for it, you just do you go with the, with the flow and say, all right, well, I guess I got to just make what is going to make me money got to pay the bills exactly especially with these housing prices here yeah, that's with your, yeah I, I agree with you you have to remember we all have principles right but the principle stops at some point oh don't get my hopes up on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to live a normal honest life where I pay my bills I invest in the stock market I want to have a good re re retirement afterwards and I have to deal with all that that crap that happens behind the scenes with that's, politicians and stuff. That's every American taxpayer's dream. Uh, and we all do it. But we were talking about a totally different subject at the time. But if you look at it, I honestly believe you could make a killing by investing in real estate, investing in stock market, and playing it safe. Yes, you get there. But you're not a politician. Mm -hmm. You see, you're not involved in politics. If you were involved in politics, that would be a totally different ballgame. You are just like you and I, an average person. We're trying to make a living in a very high-cost area. Uh, I feel sorry for so many of the younger generation who can't afford real estate or to live around here. But that's life. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. How long have you been doing real estate for? Over 20 years. 20 years. Uh, and in that time, were you mostly doing it here in the Bay Area? It's always been Bay Area. So you've seen where it was at 20 years ago when you could buy a house no problem at market rate compared to the rest of the country. And now it's just gone above and beyond the moon. With I've, I've been through four or five cycles of real estate. I remember in the 80s, that real estate, when 
Ronald Reagan was elected in the 80s. <laughs> the inflation was 18, 19% at the time, and the interest rate was had gone up up to 20%. And nobody wanted to touch real estate. And everybody saying, you know, this is it. And I told everybody, I don't think so. Well, four or five years later, real estate was booming. Uh, if you bought a house, say, in Berlingame or in Foster City or somewhere in 84, and by 88, had doubled in less than four years. And then we had a saving and loans crisis. We had close to 250 savings and loans went under, under Ronald Reagan. And everybody said, this is it. All these lenders are going to learn their lesson. I said, there is no way they're going to learn their lesson because as a human nature, greed makes us go crazy. Um, then we had 88 of recession of real estate, 90s, 91, 92, and then 92 started picking up and went all the way up to 2000 was good. Then we had a slowdown in 2000, and then 2001 was a slope. 2002 started picking up and went all the way to 2005, 2006. Um, 2005, 2006, you really didn't... Most real estate agents or most lenders, they really didn't care who you were. As long as Mike was living and breathing, they would give you the loan. And it, and it didn't matter how much. So you're talking about what led up to the 08 crisis now. That's right. So that was 2005, 2006, and 2007. Just we start seeing the tide is changing. And everybody was thinking, oh my God, this is it. Having said that, the price, have, you know, if you buy the property, say in 2005, from 2005 to 2007, you could have made over... If you bought it for, a million, say, imagine, a million dollars, you could have made $400,000 in less than two, two years. It was that crazy. And the lenders been throwing money at everybody. They didn't care if Mike was employed, Mike had 20% down, he had a good credit score, he had a good job. Uh-uh. It really didn't matter. All they wanted, Mike is breathing. Now, he could have been on a hospital bed breathing, but they didn't care. As long as he was breathing, give us the, give him the money. And then, of course, 2008 comes along, and then the crisis started. The price of the home going down. Not everywhere went down as bad as everybody thinks. In Bay Area, certain uh, counties didn't go down as much as everybody thinks. You know, like San Mateo County, but 8 to 10% down. It wasn't that high. Now, when you go to East Bay, it was 50%. And then uh, through the years, now has doubled again the price of property. Now, today it's got so bad that I don't know if average person can afford to live in Bay Area. You and I have talked about it. Uh, you're a police officer. So I don't think you can afford to buy a house in Foster City. I don't think you can buy a house in San Mateo. I don't think you can buy a house anywhere, really. Uh, in, in, you know, the counties that you're working. Uh, that's the sad part of it is. And you make a decent money. Don't get me wrong. You make a pretty good money. But in order to, I always say that if you're living in San Mateo County, if you make less than $200,000, 
You're in poverty. You're poor. Crazy to tell somebody in the Midwest or the East Coast that if you make $200,000 a year, you're considered in poverty. That is unbelievable. Tell it to somebody who lives in West, Virginia, uh, West Virginia, for that matter, that you you make a hundred fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars there. You're living like a king because you can house property, anything you could want. You're living good. You could retire off of that, and you come over here, and it's a different beast. It's uh, a lot of people always make the make the comparison that if you rent somewhere, then you're throwing money away. Because you're not, you could be otherwise putting that money towards a mortgage and therefore generating equity. But in a place like this, it doesn't really work the same way because in order for you to even get your foot in the door to do that, you got to have 20% down on a $2 million home. So if you don't have $400,000 ready to go in the bank, you can't even get on that gravy train of even building equity. So in that respect, it's like, well, then should I just put my money in the market then? Here is what I always tell you. I've told you a number of times that here is the way I look at it. It's very hard for younger generation. I really, I have two daughters. Uh, and I can say that when my daughter is going to graduate from law school, she's going to have a pretty good income coming in. But I don't think she would be able to live in Foster City. And I'll tell you why I say that. Imagine for a two-bedroom dingy little condo, they want a million dollars. Well, the payment on with 20% down, you're looking at $6,000 a month, 5,000, 6,000 with homeowner associates and taxes and all those miscellaneous items. That makes it hard for somebody to afford it. That is hard for the younger generation. Having said that, if you can have a family member who can support you, obviously that's a plus. there are a number of things you could do to come up with a solution. It's very hard, I understand that, to buy you know, something $2 million that if you can get a you know, house for $2 million here, you can get it in Kansas or you can get it in Virginia or you can get in Maryland for $50,000, right? So, and you can pay it cash with $50,000 or $100,000. But the, now in the barrier in Foster City, the house that's selling it for $2 million in real term, honestly, shouldn't be more than $100,000. I just want to look that up. Average home price in Maryland. I just want to see, just for kicks and giggles. Uh, how much is average price of a house in Maryland? How much is in Maryland? Median home cost is $361,000 in Maryland. In the U.S. is $291,000. Over here, it's like eight times that much. Oh, for $280,000, they won't give you a garage door here. You won't get, yeah, you can't even get a basement. What was it somewhere in San Francisco? It was a piece of crap house in the middle of... Two, three million dollars. Yeah, it was a complete disaster. And there was one across the bay, I think in Walnut Creek, that burned down. And it still sold for $2 million. It, a lot of piece of burnt wood. I was telling you the house that I was trying to make an offer on it uh, in, de- in December. It came, for, it came to the market for, as uh, a brokers only could see it, for 2.2. We tried to make an offer on it. Four days later, sold for 2.85. $600,000 over asking. Yeah, <laughs> so that's the question is, where the hell is this money coming from? Now, of course, I want to find out more detail about it that I went out and I started talking to people who bought it. It was all a stock option. Yeah, you're pretty nosy. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is my job. Yeah, I, gotta I figure, mean, you do what you got to do. Yeah, I got to figure out how the heck is it possible to bring a house for the market? I, you know, usually 10% higher. 
that's reasonable. 15% in a normal market, you know, the way bidding is going on, right? That's reasonable. But $650,000, that's... That's two homes in Maryland. Yeah, so I I wanted to find out who the person is buying it, you know? So I, I went there and knocked on their door and I said, you know, <laughs> I want to find out more about it. Knocked on the stranger's door. Hey, how did you do it? But the fact that he even told you yeah, how he did it. Very nice guy, extremely nice guy. He works for high tech. Uh, the wife is a CPA. Uh, they they were trying to buy it. They made offer on a number of homes. They didn't get it. So they figured out, you know what? Uh, we're going to go big. So they went out to spend more money. They didn't want to waste time. And obviously, he sold his options in order to get the house. So he made a good deal. Um, I don't know if that's a good deal. <laughs> $600,000. And like I had mentioned with that, wouldn't he have been better off putting that six, keeping that 600000 in the market? I mean, just the way, especially with the interest rates down and the way the stock market sort of goes with that. Because you can't put it in a high interest savings account. You're not making any money, but no. you can keep it. In the stocks. But the stocks has been going down too for the past <laughs> three weeks. Uh, so you have to remember that's not, here it is the way I look at it, you know, in general, I wouldn't tell my client to go out and put $650,000 more than asking price. And I'll tell you honestly why. If Mike, you come to me and say, Vali, I want to buy this house. Say, imagine the price is $2 million. I probably would tell you to just go a little bit higher because the competition is, but not six hundred thousand. I probably I said go to two million fifty, two million thirty-five, maybe maximum. I push you three or four percent. But when you go thirty percent higher than asking price, you have to ask yourself as an agent, as a broker. Mm-hmm. Am I doing justification to my client? What would happen if this market turns around and get slow a little bit? What would happen if we are in a downward swing for real estate? Would I be able to get that money back for my client? Would I be able to sell this property for my client without losing equity for him. If you can't answer that in a positive way, then you shouldn't do it because you're not doing justification for your client. Do you think people are just, I mean, I think housing is probably one of the few emotional decisions that people make, like where they get married at and when to buy a home. There's so much of that emotion involved in it. So do you have a hard time telling your clients, okay, we got to put that in check, especially around here? Certain clients, yes, not all of them. The older generation, they they are a little more cautious. Mm. They have a tendency to listen. The younger generations, uh, because they some of it is easy money, because of stock options money, they want it and they want it now and they don't care. So that's a tough one now. Having said that, some of the agents and brokers who come along, they don't have the experience of 2007, 2000, and 88, and 78, 79, 78. Those, they don't have the experience. They think real estate is going to go up, 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 up. So 
they're speculating and they're pushing you to go higher and higher. And that's the dangerous part of real estate that we are looking at. It. The agents are actually fueling the situation. So they're telling you, you know, hey, go $400,000 more than asking price. If you want the house, you better do that. Well, great. I know Mike wants the house, but I have to look at it. $400,000, how long will it take for Mike to make it? That's number one. Number two, can Mike lose $400,000? Mm. See, if you think like that, then you're doing something right. But if you're saying, no, it's not my money, it's Mike's money, so why should I care? Then you're not only doing wrong to the mic, you're doing something wrong with your community. Where do you think that comes from? Because I, I, I want to think that most real estate agents are honest people. They're trying to get you the best, the best options because it's, you're, building, you're building a reputation for yourself as an agent. The more you take care of your clients, the more they're going to refer you and so forth. It builds longevity that way. Do you think it's just a matter of uh, lack of education on terms of where we're going if we push too high here? Or is it just we're getting too much involved with this is the way it is. There's no inventory over here. There's no other way to do it other than um, cash out your stocks now because you work for Google and buy the house now. And housing is always going to be a safe option. And you could retire out of it when you finish paying it off and whatnot. Well, there are a number of factors involved. First of all, greed is all of us, right? You're a human being, I'm a human being, all the agents are human beings, so they want to make money, and they make their money by commission, right? So obviously they're going to push you to buy something, or that's the reality of life. Now, if the agent is decent agent, he's going to think about your future, and think about your money. Having said that, you have to remember, the price of real estate is a lot has to do with, it is true that, supply demand but government has fueled that by putting the f gasoline on the fire by interest rate of so low for so long imagine you go borrow a million dollar and that we're talking about December mm -hmm. not right now yeah if you borrowed a million dollar your payment on a million dollar would have been twenty two hundred dollars a month with the interest rates the way they were in December. Yeah. Okay. Right? So you tell me, wouldn't you borrow a million dollars and go buy something that was worth $600,000 for a million dollars? Because you look at it and say, hey, if I buy that, my payment would be $2,500. Mm -hmm. But if oh. I'm renting a one-bedroom apartment, I'm paying $3,000 a month. So I'd rather go buy something and borrow a million dollars with nothing down, actually. That's crazy that they even still did that. Yeah, but they- You could do, do nothing. Yeah. yeah, but still could do it. And now there is more variety of the lenders who come around and they come up with a solution for you. But it's amazing that the government actually fueled the situation. Yeah, I've seen that. When you basically give away free money, it's why wouldn't you take everything that you can? I mean, you're not doing anything wrong because the interest rates are so low that your dollar can go farther, you can take longer to pay it, but then it just jacks up the price of the real estate and that's, 
kind of the game that you're in. Exactly. We're all in, you know, yeah. depending on what side of the coin you're on. And, and the worst part of it, because you live in an area that is such a great job concentration of job is Silicon Valley mm-hmm. is you're the competing. Mecca. Yeah, exactly. And you're competing with somebody who works for Google and Facebook and uh, Instagram and I don't know, <laughs> Cisco and Oracle and stuff like that. Now, your income is pretty set. My income is pretty set. It doesn't j- jump like yeah. crazy, right? Right. Our, you know, in, in, they increase our income is maybe 10%, 15%, 20%. But working for Google, I have that option, right? That if stock, if it goes from $1,200, $1,300, or $1,800, I don't know how much it is right now, $3,000. It goes to $6,000. My income got 100%. So you and I are competing with that kids. I mean, yeah. Right? So that's the problem. Now, if you look at... If you look at, say, Central Valley, the price of real estate is still reasonable. If you go to Los Angeles, you know, Southern California, still is more, a lot better than around here. In San Mateo, you are the worst counties that you can think about. San Francisco, San Mateo, Santa Clara. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, Marin County is always, it's been zoned. It's got its own vibe over yeah, there. Yeah. They only have so many homes. You pay for that yep. environment, but then you're farther away from. Exactly. But Google San Francisco, San Francisco, San Mateo, and Santa Clara are rocket. Unbelievable so. there. And because of that, it does take two incomes. No matter how much, I mean, most of these people who work in tech are making two, $300,000 when you factor in bonuses and especially a welcome, like, what do you call it? Retention offers or something to keep you there so you don't go to the competition. But it still takes two people to make ends meet and pretty much where we're at now. If you started today and you wanted to buy a home here, you're going to need two incomes. Absolutely. It's just the way it is. But when you have two incomes, now it takes away from you kind of you want the home because you're probably going to have a family, kids and good school district and whatnot. But when both people are working, then you start thinking who takes care of the, care of the kids. If you don't have family, then you got to pay somebody to do it. And by paying someone to do it, that's money that you could have otherwise that's not saved. Exactly. So <laughs> you kind of get in this big circle here of what's more important. Is it just to have the home and then hopefully it just appreciates the way that homes traditionally have done. And then by doing that, that means both people have to work and there's one of the parents isn't always there taking care of the kid or kids and somebody else's, which if you, if you have a grandparent then and they're willing to do it, great. But some people don't have that option, especially if you move over here because of the jobs yeah. and you're from Ohio or Illinois, all your family's over there. You're on your own here. And when they, will, when they come and visit you and they look at the one bedroom apartment and say, how much you're paying for rent here? $3,500? Sticker shock, man. <laughs> Are you crazy? I know, I mean, you got me. I have people who move into Texas. Well, we all know people who move into Texas. I mean, it's just how that market has changed in a couple of, actually just in the past year, it's turning into California, which I know they hate down there. (laughs) But, you know. The job, jobs are going there. Yeah, if you're Elon Musk and you say, screw it, I'm going to leave Fremont and the Silicon Valley, I'm going to go make my cars in Texas, live over there. If you're Joe Rogan, you're going to go live over there. If you're, everybody else is going to Texas, so they're setting the precedent and taking advantage of uh, how Texas runs things, which very much a freedom-oriented state. You know, you do your thing here. Uh, but don't come in, but they're just like, just don't bring your ideology over here. And that's, 
That's pushing people a certain way. Well, there's more on rule and regulation in California than any other state. It doesn't matter what you want to start. You go through hell to get your permit and license and stuff like that. So I, I understand that. And of course, this is a pretty liberal state versus uh, any other state that you concern. This is it's a blue. To, there is no limit to blueness. Well, funny thing, it's blue around here, it's blue around L.A. Metro, but the rest of the state, if you think about it, it's pretty red. That's true. Well, Central Valley, yes, I agree with you. But the population is here. Yeah, everybody so, comes here to get the jobs, yeah. everybody comes here for the money, and, I mean, can't beat the beaches, though, I mean. Oh. Well, maybe you can. Depends <laughs> on when what When was beaches. the last time you went to the beach? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's I mean, a freezing cold yeah, around just, here. <laughs> although yesterday at Christie Field, it was nice. It's, it's mid-February, and it was like 75 degrees That's yesterday. True. I mean, you can't beat that. No. You can't beat California weather, which is one of the reasons why people just don't want to leave. I was uh, I was looking at a, at a place to... For my wife to to run to to get her business in, we went to go with the real estate agent and walking around commercial real estate and just what they're asking for for what you're 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 you're, you're getting and it's a it's a brutal market. It is. It's uh, and I even asked the the uh, guy too. So with all these evictions coming up from the banks and they're saying, okay, now we're gonna really find out in February what we have to deal with. You know, do we see anything happening in San Francisco? And he's like, honestly, no. People are starting to come back from the commercial real estate side to open up businesses here now that things are open up again. Yep. Or they went to Texas and said, no, I just not my thing. I'm coming back here. Everything's opening up again. So they're taking advantage of it. I'm like, yeah, that's the market that we're dealing with when it comes to getting commercial real estate. Exactly. Look, what we have around here, no place on earth has it. Where else in the middle of the winter, on 10th of or 11th of February, you get a temperature of 76 Degrees in the middle of the winter. Can't beat that. Honestly, everywhere else is snow, rain, cold. Oh, the East Coast is brutal right now. Right. Some ice storm or something that just happened. Right. Okay, so here is my question to you Can you find something better than around here? Can't think of one. No. So people <laughs> want to come back. Commercial real estate. Residential, everybody's anticipating, not residential, commercial, we were all thinking about they might have a little slowdown. And I still believe that personally, commercial real estate is going to come down. Not as much as we think, but 10%, 15%, I think is going to come down. And I'll tell you why I, that's my feeling is. I don't have any data to back it up, but that's personal feeling. Most companies have recognized they can survive by not having all employees in their offices. So they're going to give you some employees option. If you don't want to come to the office, you, you don't have to. Now, there would be adjustment on the salary of the employees who are not going to show up? Probably, yes. Right now is not because, because of COVID. But as the future comes, I think most companies are going to say, you know what? We really don't need Mike to come or Valley comes to the office. He can work remotely. We don't have to provide a space and desk and internet and papers and ink and stuff for him. Let him work at his home. And we save the time and money and janitorial service and right of electricity by not providing him office. 
So that section of office that I see it, yes, maybe 10 to 15% is going to be affected. It's not going to be used. Now, if you had to bet on it, do you see the transition from commercial real estate that's an empty office space into livable space? Say, screw it. We're going we're gonna to take that office building that's been empty for a year and a half and, you know what, let's turn it into condos because real estate's at a premium for housing. Not in office space yet. But what I see is a shopping centers that now they're turning more to the condominium. Um, the shopping center that, you know, you had Sears and you had a Kmart and you had a variety of stores who were there and no longer in business, you know, JCPenney or some now Macy's stores that they're moving out. So they all turning to condominium. Uh, if you just say, uh, a prime example of it is Hillsdale Mall. Hillsdale Mall and Cemetery, okay. Yeah, right? If you go to look around, do you remember that old Sears? Yeah, they, they, they blew it up. It completely, right? <laughs> yes. And they now change it completely to different things. So now that you see it. I see that most likely with uh, Stanford Shopping Center. Or I see it with uh, Westlake Shopping Center. I see those eventually going to the condominium because housing is in demand. And, you know, with the stores that more people are going online shopping. So I don't think the mall is going to be that good investment. So that's a tough one. And of course, as I said that, because I go to Hillsdale Mall, right? And I see the mall is dead. You know, I can't remember the last time I went to a mall to go shop because everything's online. Everything is Amazon. Like this thing right here with CNBC, what does it say? 25% of U.S. malls are expected to shut within five years. Uh, Research estimates 1,000 malls are closed over the next three, five years. Retail space has gone vacant. Does not mean it's automatically a good candidate for repurposing into industrial space. That's what Moody's experts say. That's... I mean, it's prime real estate because when they were built, it was that's where you, that's all you went to. You were young, you were a kid, you would go hang out at the mall and go to the arcade. You do all your shopping there. Now you don't do either they one. Don't so it, if you're somebody who wants to invest long, 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 long term, and if you had the cash to buy that much land, you would make killing. <laughs> wow. An example of it is Bridgepoint Mall. Bridgepoint, yeah. Right. An example of that. Do you know how many stores now is empty over there? Uh, yeah. That's a lot of big box. That's 20,000 square feet at least. That's just empty. Oh, how much? At least. Close to 130,000 square feet is empty. Wow. And nobody's taking it no. because everybody's doing their, their shopping online. Exactly. It's just so much, e- e- even de- uh, food delivery. Like I thought I was never going to do that. Why would I have, why would I pay somebody to go to McDonald's and give me a Big Mac or whatnot when I could just go get it myself? Now everybody's doing it. Look, I've just ordered... Somebody was telling me, how come I don't go to Costco? Because I can order everything online free. Once you go reach a certain point, like $100 or $120 or something like that, they deliver it for free. So why would I want to go to the mall or stores? Whole Foods delivers everything. Uh, Amazon delivers everything. Uh, even, uh, what do you call it, Walmart, Target, they all deliver it. So there is no reason to actually go over there. And I don't want to deal with people anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't blame you sometimes. I, that is just, as an investor though, to be able to just see 
that far down the line to say, all right, the writing's on the wall for me. This mall space isn't going to be there. It's not going to be, it's not conducive to a good business environment anymore. But turning that into, you know, a couple of high-rise condos, oh, that's going to be primo real estate. Oh, I can guarantee you. Mark my word for it. And I bet on it. Bridgepoint, within the next 10 years, would be gone. 10 years? Yeah. Already? I can't, I can't see that. It's got a target. I mean, target still is. Target is making money right now because people are not tuned in 100% to online yet. But the older generation, you have to remember, the reason I've said 10 years, because they're becoming more and more less in the community. So, so they're, they're dying. Yeah, they're dying. <laughs> I mean, just, <laughs> I didn't just want to put it bluntly. I mean, <laughs> they're dying or they're moving out of the area because the area is too expensive and they're making tons of money. You know, they bought the house say, in 1978 for $120,000 and now they're selling it for $3 million. They say, you know what? Hey, I'll take the money and go to Montana or I go to Florida or I'll take money and go to Carolina and then I can retire comfortable. Everybody's going to Montana, right? They, they probably hate us up there, but yeah, it's <laughs> okay. like you can go buy a, you know, property, so, hunting, and just wow, yeah. everything. So the younger generation are online. We know that. Yeah, you're an example. I'm, of yeah, I'm them, online right? too. So we know that. Then you have the older generation; they're being wiped out completely because they're moving out. We know that some of them are going to die and some of them are going to move out because they look at it. Hey, I bought a house for 20, 30,000, 40,000. I'm selling it for $3 million. I can retire comfortable, which is true. You can really go to Montana with $3 million. You have a comfortable life. Around here, you're starting <laughs> with $3 million, but over there, you're comfortable. So <clears throat> you have middle-aged people like me. So I'm in tune online and I also once in a while, I go to the shop, to the store. But I'm more inclined not to shop anymore in person. So that's the reason I said 10 years from now, I'll see that. The only, look, there is not that much over there. We got uh, wine and spread or whatever it is, total wine. And then uh, for a while, they were thinking to, uh, to bring Nordstrom rack, but Nordstrom backed out. They said, no, they don't want it. And then uh, Toys R Us is gone. Um, Hobby, Hobby Lobby is, I don't know how the heck they're making money, even though with their cheap rent they're getting. It's got to be a sweet deal for them to do that. They're getting like 15 cents or 20 cents a square foot. Lucky them. Yeah, so, but if you look at Mimi's Cafe is gone. Uh, there are four or five places. It, uh, Ethan Allen is gone. Uh, I don't know who else could there. It was Bed Bath & Beyond. Bed Bath Beyond. That was the, a big one. Yeah. So yeah, it's so if you look, that place is gonna become dip, empty, I shrink was closed for for quite a long time. Now I don't know how the heck they opened it up again. I, they figure out know that place sitting there, not making any money, so might as well open up and make some money out of it. But the next <coughs> next to the ice rink, there was three or four restaurants. One of them was uh, I remember all you can eat. It was packed always. That's gone. That's about. 20,000 square feet. That's just the way that things are going now. It's almost, I want to say it's too fast too soon, but it's just the way that our world is going now. I mean, you really see it in probably about 10 years. Like, like you say, that generation of kids who's maybe like, maybe they're 10 years old now when they become 20, 21 years old and their idea of fun is to stay inside and 
virtual reality, everybody. Everything is on your phone, which it pretty much is now. Ordering from Amazon, ordering food delivery. Literally, all I have to do is walk from the to my front door, pick up whatever it is I deliver, and I come inside. There's no reason for me to a socialize out there in those in those environments, or b even have to go and the the trouble of driving somewhere, which is another reason why I think that the car market might see a. I think they're already seeing it. If you're a big executive GM or Chrysler, you're already seeing the writing on the wall. I mean, the car sales the way there are. It's just, Right now, they are high demand because we are shortage of the cars and shortage of chips. Yeah. But I think the car business is eventually is going to die, and it's going to be all auto. They're all going to have to merge. All the big ones are going to have to merge, yeah. consolidate everything, which is going to affect the jobs out there, which is going to be another yeah. thing that people are going to say that all our jobs are gone. <laughs> in, in your lifetime, you'll see autonomous cars that you know really don't have to do anything. But mine, um, probably, even though I do have a Tesla that can yeah. I put autopilot, but I don't trust that much yet. Yeah, I was going to say, does that thing scare you? I mean, uh, I've done it a couple of times. Uh, it really doesn't scare me because it goes based on the speed limit and you read the speed limit and you're you know, fine. Uh, you have to have, they say you're supposed to have your hands on the steering but, but I, I, mean, I, just, I, I just you know the idea of driving down like a residential street it's going no you 20. can't no really it's not you can't do that okay you, know? you only on the freeway so on the freeway i've done it um you know you're going 65 miles an hour or 70 miles an hour that's reasonable but then on the street i'm not sure if i trust the car yeah like would you do it on the road to tahoe winding mountain roads no okay that's what no but i'm but i when i go to la yes Straight away on the I-5. Yes, okay, yeah. I get that there. Yeah. But just where you would actually probably want to drive at twisty mountain roads or in the snow, no. it's like we're not at that point yet. No, no, so no, no. As no. long as that's still a long way away, I mean, I say it's a long way away, maybe it's 10 years. Another 10 years. That just, that just blows my mind right. that you can, that people are going to be that comfortable in the car doing everything itself. Like, Mike, you're young, but you have to look. If you look at the technology, everybody thinks... We've taken so much time. But if you look at technology from 1950s of black and white TV and 1940s when it started, and right now, look at the technology that we are having. How much we improved from the black and white TV. Yeah, well, it's like how much farther can we go? <laughs> go right. You kind of don't want to ask that question. It's like how much farther can we go? How can we really get that much better? And then every year, it's just, you kind of just get surprised by what else is out there. You know, just yeah, I, you know, I kind of am uh, trying to keep an open mind of what ten years is going to look okay. look like and plan for. I mean, I've learned just in the past ten years now of how much you have to prepare that much for the future and be able to see this is where things are going to be at because so far, especially around here with the way it is it's gone that way it's it's going to a way where everything is online we have to accept it home housing prices are going to be what they are maybe do you need a three-bedroom house when because that's what your parents had maybe you only need a one-bedroom because you don't you're not going to have kids so do you want to go through all that just for the extra space that you're not using for the idea of building equity you know it's a whole different way of learning there's another thing there's another theory that because that metaverse that everybody's talking about is going to be I don't know. I'm not going to be excited about, it, but it's going to take over. It's going to take over the world pretty of much. Of course. Then, if you're living in virtual reality, do you even need to have a big home? You could just have a closet because everything. You could put a like a screen on the wall, and it just it makes you look like you're you have a grand view when really it's just an LCD screen, and everything is with your 
if you're living by Oculus. If you're living by yourself, yes. But if you have a kid, two or three kids, no, you need more more space. Now, I, well, I tell you what I can tell you that and I predict. The price of housing in 10 years in San Mateo, in San Francisco, or in Santa Clara would be doubled. Doubled. Now, if you look at it since 1950s, every 10 years has doubled. Right? So I, this is facts. So you can look it up and it's going to go double again. Every 10 years. So in your crystal ball, in 10 years, this is going to be a doubled real estate market. Yeah. So, Well, it, not exactly 10 years, but in general, close enough. 10, yeah, 10 years. Okay, so if you could see the future here, do you see any situation where that wouldn't happen? Like, What would have to happen for that not to be the case? Oh, would have China to. have to take over and be number one economy? Would uh, you know people not having kids and the birth rate dropping? Like, what could happen for well, that? But the ch- here is, but people not having child doesn't make a difference, and I'll tell you why. Because we invite so many foreign investors to this country. Now, some people gonna call me later on Chinese bashing, or Asian bashing. We'll or, try not to do to, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the reality is, close to twenty-five percent of the population. Asian, they bring their money here and they buy property and some of them actually never live in it. It's an investment, they sit on it and 10, 15, 20 years. So, I mean, it, it is safer here than it is in China. Exactly. From what I understand. I'm no, no, I, I, I agree with you. Some of them, they bring the money because they're afraid the government is going to confiscate it, right? So it's reasonable for them to bring it around. There is nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing anybody. But what I'm saying is, we were talking about the value of real estate, how it affects us, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you have 25% of a population or 25% of your market has been cornered by one group of people, right? Mm-hmm. That's gonna jack up the prices. Yeah. Right, that's one. Then you have another 25% who have a easy money through a stock option. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That that puts it to 50%. Right? And then you have 25% who are brokers or investors and they're speculators or they're real estate agents who go and flip the properties. Right? Mm -hmm. So they buy a property, sit on it a couple of years or fix it. Some people do it, fix it 90 days and turn it around. Some people do it one or two years, three years. Those are speculators. Another 25%. So what you got left? You got only 25% left. Wouldn't you say when you have 75% is pushing up the real estate, whether you like it or not, you're overwhelmed by 25%. Wouldn't you think it's a smarter investment though? If if you're a foreign investor or you're a speculator, why not just go to where the housing prices haven't hit these astronomical numbers and say, I'm going to play the long game. I bet in 15 years, this community, I don't know, a hundred miles away is going to be the place to be at because everybody's going to work from home. So why wouldn't you want to live in a nice, quiet neighborhood? So I'm going to dump my money and all that rather than buying at the peak of the market here, even if you have the money, wouldn't that be something that you might say, well, I'll just go over there and, and bet on the farm. No pun intended that it's going to go up. <laughs> no. 
You've, ter- you've heard of the term location, location, location. Right, but if you're working from home, yes, does it? But still, here it is. The question is, where is the center of jobs in Bay Area? Yeah, all in Silicon Valley, all in Santa Clara County. Okay, so we got Silicon Valley, and that includes San Francisco, San Mateo, and Santa Clara. So the job is here. Now, you are saying that it doesn't make sense to go to, say, Los Angeles or Orange County and buy something there. Well, yes and no. If you are looking for appreciation, you buy something around here. Do you know why? Mm. Because the job market is around here. And there is no land to develop around here. You see, when you have land to develop, the prices don't go up. Right. But you don't have land, the price goes up. Because if you have a dingy little home, single family home, now you, you want to sell it, somebody like me comes around and says, you know what, I can put five units on it. Hmm. So you don't see the Silicon Valley companies pushing to have their employees work somewhere else, which would be cheaper for them to say, oh, I don't need all this real estate here. I could sell some of these buildings and do, you know, increase my, my profits. And then you can have employees who were, who live in Riverside County, for example, where there's just so much to develop over there. And you as an investor can say, I can go and buy tons of land there. So now I'm the landlord there, knowing that people are going to want to buy some places cheaper, which over here is cheaper. They don't need to get out of the home because they're working from home. And then that's going to be how I'm going to double, triple, quadruple my money. Whereas here, yeah, if you have the money, you could play that that game. Yeah, I, in a way, yes, I agree with you uh, because some people will move out. Some people would. Uh, some companies actually move out too. Tesla is an example of it. Uh, so the question is, when that company leaves, are they gonna leave that vacuum there without somebody else taking their place? Or there are some VCs who come around and say, you know what, we like Mike for his new idea and we are going to support Mike to create a new company in, instead of Tesla, mm-hmm. right? So and since becoming like this, every day a company comes around and becomes big and then they say, okay, well, they, they don't want to be a part of California. They move, right? So, but there is a new company that pops up. Yeah, you know, you could always think of it that way. There's always going to be somebody who wants to be here, if nothing else, because of the the, the location, like you said, the weather, yeah. the beaches, you're three hours from Tahoe, you have everything here, so why would you not want to? Exactly. To, if you look at it this way, one of the reasons San Mateo, we were looking at, you know, San Mateo is so expensive is, you're 20 minutes to San Francisco for art center, activities, all the things you want. Um, Giants are here, and uh, Warriors are here, and whatever, football is here, whatever you want. You got 20 minutes to San Francisco, 20 minutes to San Jose, 20 minutes to Oakland, 10 minutes to the airport, two hours, two and a half hours to Tahoe. You want to go skiing, two and a half hours. You want to go... Um, two and a half the, hours, how fast do you drive? Uh, <laughs> Jeez, two and a half hours. Three hours. Three, three and a half, all right. Uh, and also, if you want to go to the beach, you want to go swimming on the ocean? Hey, two hours. Right? So there is no other place like around here. Mm-hmm. 
So even if you're a foreign investor and you got of tons course. of money, you're still going to dump it in here. Of course. Even if all the tech companies say, you know what, we're done. We're, we're going to move all of our operations to Texas and Florida because we can do business better there and have bigger profit margins since all of our workers are going to be all over the country, all over the world. We don't need this much space. They'll still want to. They still the want a California. Their California is always going to be California, no matter how you look at it. Mm-hmm. People are dying to live here. <laughs> Everybody know. wants to come to California. Everybody's bashing California. Everybody hates California in a different ways. But at the, the reality is everybody wants to live here. Even though we are the, one of the highest tax, uh, tax uh, rates. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Property taxes are high. The income tax is high. But still, at the end of the day, there is no other place like here. Yeah, when I hear people who tell me that, or I meet people from out of the out of the, the state who tell me, "How could you pay all these tax and all this whatever?" I said, honestly, I'm so used to it, I'm numb. I don't know anything different other than the ta- the California tax rate. I don't know anything different than how you watch your paycheck and all the deductions come out. That I just, I'm numb to the fact that the 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 real estate around here is two, three, four million dollars for. Okay, that's a nice house. For it's not a mansion. It's just a it's just a house. You don't even get a backyard. You yeah. don't get a half time. You don't even get a front yard. You just get this really tall, narrow, two to three thousand square foot home. Track home. Tra- even that, yeah. And it's just yeah, you know, two three million dollars, and you're just so numb to it that when you talk to somebody who's from out of state, that's like you know dropping dead that you even pay half that much for that house. They're like, oh my god, where I live, I could be a king with the mile long driveway, and they're like, yeah, I just. I, I tell you a story about my own cousin. He used to work for uh, Raytheon, defense contractors. And uh, he was working in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He, well, Raytheon was closing down, so they wanted to move to Ventura County in the LA area. And he told me, you know, called me and he said, no, what do you think? And I said, well, I'm not sure you're doing the right thing. He said, well, they're offering me $30,000 more per year. And I said, $30,000, that's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I said, are you kidding me? There, that's about 40% of my regular income. I said, oh. So how much are you getting? He's at about $86,000 a year salary right now. And I said, his name is Mike too. I said, Mike, you're Good up. I said, so you're telling me they're going to give $130,000? I said, yeah. And I said, with three kids and a wife who doesn't work, mm. you think $130,000 is enough? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, guess what? He goes and sells house in Tulsa for $150,000, 4,000 square feet home. That's a bargain. Right? I don't care what part of Tulsa it's in. I mean, that's a bargain for anybody. Of course, that was a number of years ago, but he he moves to Ventura. Well, he rented a townhouse, three-bedroom townhouse, for $3,000 a month. Thinking about, you know, he's going to buy a house. In the beginning, he just wanted to. Because I always tell my clients to, before you buy something, live there for a little while to figure out if you like the area. Well, he stayed there for six months, seven months, and he looked around, couldn't afford anything because he was the only breadwinner. The wife wasn't working. 
with three kids going to private school, <laughs> right? So there was no money left. So the wife had to go to work. After six years being in Ventura County, they figured out they cannot afford California. They started looking for a job in Fremont, and I told them, don't come around here because around here is more expensive. And they came around, so I took them around and showed them the area. I said, oh my God, I can't believe it, how expensive is California. So figure out he wants to go to Phoenix and work for Dell. And on the way coming back from Phoenix at the airport, I'd gone for an interview. Coming back, he meets somebody from another recruiter from uh, Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I said, why don't you come and work for Ross Perot? Ross Perot. Yeah. Candidate Ross Perot yeah. from like uh, 20 well, years ago. Uh, well, they have a uh, uh, pro computer. Oh, okay. Why don't you come and work for us? So he says, well, what are you offering? He says, well, what are you baking around here? I said, 130. He said, okay, we'll give you 140. But come to Dallas. Hmm. Right? So he moves to Dallas. And in the beginning, he said, well, I don't need a, I don't need a house in order to, to live. And I said, okay, how much is your house? $380,000. What we do, we loan you the money. Go buy the house. They loan them the money. And he paid it in six years. Paid it off in six years. Now he lives like a king. Two months out of the year, comes to California, and he said, well, I no longer want to live in California. <laughs> but he's willing to, he was willing to sacrifice number of years being in Dallas. Now, I don't say that Dallas is bad, don't get me wrong, but it's not the place we live. Mm-hmm. You have a hot summer, humid, cold winter, different people. <laughs> it's not like you and I got used to around here. But is he happy? Yeah. He looks at it and says, you know what? I paid off my mortgage in six years. I mean, kudos to him. Uh, That's his. He can't afford it around here. He'd still be paying. He probably wouldn't even be 30, 40% into it right now. I mean, it's just the way, the way it is over here. But, you know, again. <laughs> We come here because if you come to California, you come for the weather or the jobs. If you play your cards right, you can definitely enjoy your life here in California. If you come in and you start living way over your means, forget it at that point yep. because you just sort of be become indebted to the higher salaries and you keep chasing them. And then, you know, you start thinking about your own quality of life. And is this really where I want to be at? Is this how I want to live my life every day? Like just trying to make ends meet because this is the life I wanted to have. I wanted to have the Mercedes. I wanted to have the two-bedroom high-rise condo. I wanted to have uh, the Armani suit. It's like, well, you're going to have to maintain that lifestyle. (laughs) And I think as we we get older, we realize it's less about that and more about... Yes, it's all material. I don't give a damn anymore. I don't care anymore. It's amazing how much that, even for for me, you know, I'm 39 years old and how much that has flipped since I was in my mid, mid twenties and you want all that stuff. And now you're like, it doesn't matter to me. I still drive my 07 Civic because it gets me from point A to point B. It's paid off. You become more mature. Yes. You don't have to worry about trying to impress somebody else anymore and none of that stuff. Well, it's just been, we're about what, an hour and a half into this. This has been a cool conversation. I like listening to different perspectives on like mortgage and real estate. And I loved hearing about Iran because I don't talk to people 
much from that from 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 Iran. So I don't. There's not a lot that I know about that I don't see on TV or if I have to go and research it. But then here in the day by day things, the people still have fun. They enjoy it. Yes, you deal with inflation, but like here, you're so numb to it. You don't know anything different. You just go with it. That's the cars I've been dealt with. I just deal with it. Well, you have to remember certain things in Iran is better than here. Really. Such uh, as? Medical system is better. Health, health system over there is free for everybody. So that's kind of nice. Education is free. So that's kind of nice too. But the free enterprise system like we have around here doesn't work over there. It's more of a middle of the road. Or if you know the right person. If you know, you exactly. If you know the right people, you're always fine. Right, right? You're always going to make money. But if you don't know anybody like me, I go over there now because I don't know anybody, right? Because I've been for 45 years out of the country, so I don't know the culture. I don't know how to deal with people. So I start zero. If I'm starting zero, it's a little bit hard time. It's not as easy as we think, talk about it. But is everything is there, yeah. People are there, they get celebrated, they have parties, they have weddings, they have anniversaries, they have birthday parties. They have jeans, you know, Donald Trump was saying, let's open up the country and have jeans. And I was going to say, what a moron you are, Donald. <laughs> <laughs> They've had jeans for past 200 years. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, no. Again, feeding off of what people don't know around here as so to what actually happens there. <laughs> and honestly, I was shocked that he was saying he wants to open a relationship with Iran to provide the jeans. I was shocked. I was like, what is wrong with you? Do a little research on country first. But it is what it is right now. And of course, there is, a, there, there, there is a negotiation going on right now. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but Iran regarding their the nuclear, nuclear deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw that. That's coming back yeah. if, for better or uh, for worse. For my personal view, if we don't do a deal with Iran, we are making the biggest mistake. We got to get Iran somehow to come on our side. Don't let. Right now, I, my feeling is Iran is going toward China and Russia. And if we lose Iran to them, it means we lost the entire Middle East. You know, maybe that's something that, that Obama saw when he started creating that, that deal. I mean, I get it. There's the other side of the coin that says, why would you want to make a country like Iran a nuclear power? But then the other side of it is, well, they were probably going to do it anyway, but at least if we have some terms... Maybe we get the best of both worlds. Yeah, but I am not saying that let Iran go toward nuclear. But I'm saying that if we don't work with them, if we... Here is the way I look at it. We should have honored our agreement with Iran. I think Donald Trump did make a, did make a mistake. That's my opinion. Is, and I'll tell you why. If you open up the country... To Iranian market, Iranian people are gonna see what is possibilities for them. If they are allowed to come and visit, their scholars and their students and their people come and visit, see a life that we have here, taste the good life, they're gonna go back and demand more from their government. If you flood their market with American good, 
they're going to have a different view of us. Right? And also, because they're going to depend on some of our products, they're going to need our support for their technology. So more Americans are going to be able to land to their country. So there are going to be more presence there. It's a smart play when you think about the economic impact in the future with the long-term mindset. Having also, it's, it's weird because you also have to acknowledge what goes, goes wrong there. But then if we start becoming the world's police, it's like, well, we can go to every country in the world and say, they're doing this, they're doing that. It's like at some point, how do you really tell somebody how to manage a country if it's not your country? You know, it's, we can figure out that, that question. No, but my point is, we're always looking for, we're a capitalist country, mm-hmm. right? If you're a capitalist, what's the difference by selling to them or not selling to them, sell them to the third party and the third party makes the profit? We did it with Iran-Contra. Right. So, so I mean, the question is, why not deal with them directly and let them depend on us? It's a way to see it. I don't know, know the answer, but I can see both sides of the, the equation. Now, and that's number one. Number two, one of the things I always felt with the last administration and generally with some American, not everybody, is always their mentality is my way or highway. Unfortunately, it doesn't work with Iranian. Now, with some countries in the Middle East, yes, it does work. And I'll tell you why. If you look at Saudi Arabia, if you like Kuwait, if you like um, Bahrain, if you look at Dubai, they do not fight their own battle. They hire people to do their fight. They hire us as an American. They hire uh, Pakistanis. They hire um, uh, Egyptians. They hire people to come and fight their fights. Iranian are not like that. They fight their own fight. They say, we don't care. It's a country, so we have to fight it. It's in their DNA. So... With, when you deal with Iran, you can't say, well, highway or my way. It doesn't. So you got to compromise. You have to understand what they want and meet them halfway. Iran is becoming such a huge player in the Middle East at this point. Whether we like it or not, we have to make a deal with them. I... You know what? That might be the answer. It might have to be because if they have leveraged themselves to the position where you have to take them seriously, you know, you got to make a decision if you're the person in power here. And, you know, regardless of your politics, you know. It doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or Democrat. I'm just telling you honestly, it doesn't make sense to say, because here it is. Are we going to go to the war with Iran? (laughs) If you're going to go to the war, do you know how many people are going to die? And now, don't get me wrong, Iranian don't care because they're going to grow like a mushroom. <laughs> I mean, the way to put it. A simple way, honestly, think about it. They fought for 10 years with uh, Saddam and Iraqis and they didn't give an inch of the land. Yeah, that is crazy how many people died in that yeah. war and at the end of the day, you still have the same borders. Exactly. So, and also, Iraqis are a bigger loser. 
Because right now Iran controls Iraq anyway. <laughs> yeah. So the I question, guess. yeah, the question is: Are we going to go to war? If not, going to go to war. Let's sit down and say, you know what? We're going to treat you like adult. But tell us what you want, and we tell you what we want. But meet them halfway. Well, they should hire you on as the uh, counsel over there at the White House because somebody needs to know. Well, you know what? Maybe that, that, that's why there's no attention being paid to it. It's like under the radar that we're doing this. It's not making mainstream news. For whatever reason, maybe because it's not as juicy of a story, doesn't no. get as much attention. No, Putin is more juicier right now. Yeah, I mean, that that's a whole other <laughs> conversation there. I mean, I get, And China is more juicier. <laughs> yeah, I get the play that they're playing. That's the way world politics work, but we'll end it there. Perfect. Thank you, Valley, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And if anybody needs to wants to reach out to you for real estate questions, I'll put your information down in the description. So thank you, Valley, for coming on. Everybody, thank you for, for listening and watching, and you have a good day. Thank you, Valley. Thank you. Thank appreciate you so it. much.